0: Welcome to 20 Minute Topic, I'm Marcus Stead and as usual I'm joined by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. A week ago Sudesh Aman injured three people in a terror attack on the Streatham High Road less than a fortnight after being released from prison for possessing and distributing terrorist material. In this podcast Greg and I ask, what can be done to minimise the threat from Islamic extremists living in Britain? So first of all, we look back to the events of last Sunday, um, Sudesh Amman and what went on in Streatham High Road, an area I actually know quite well. It's the area if you get on a, a coach at London Victoria and then head towards the south coast, as I've done many times, you go through that area. I've also been through that area on foot. I was on assignment there a few years ago. Um, so I, I'm familiar with it. And when I saw images on the news, I knew exactly where it was. I know my way around that particular part of London. Um, so it, it was it was quite poignant for me to see all that and quite disturbing in many ways, the images we saw last Sunday, the 2nd of February on our uh, the news bulletins on TV. So we go back to the events of 2018. And it was clear that then the judge who sentenced him to prison was already concerned about him because um, he had strong and often extreme views at that time. And he said his life goal was to die a martyr and be admitted to paradise. And, To the armed undercover officers who were surveilling him after his release from prison less than two weeks before he carried out his attack in Streatham, he was an immediate and a very real threat to life, a threat they were forced to eliminate on a street in front of panicked families and people doing some shopping on a Sunday afternoon. So we know he had served half of a 40-month sentence. It was imposed in the Old Bailey in December 2018. He pleaded guilty to possessing and distributing terrorist material. Uh, His mother visited him on the Thursday before the the attack on the Sunday. Um, She spoke again to her son on the phone earlier on the Sunday. Just a few hours later, he grabbed a knife from a convenience store and launched his random stabbing spree, injuring two people, one of them seriously. A third person was injured by flying glass during the police gunfire. And the initial aftermath reaction and Piers Morgan on Good Morning Britain, for example, um, Piers his first job in journalism was that part of London when he was a young man, and Susanna Reed, his co-presenter, lives just round the corner from there to this day. And his reaction was, why on earth are we releasing people when they still clearly pose a threat? And yet this evening now, we're recording this early on Saturday morning, the following Saturday morning. We're learning that a radicalised chemistry teacher, jailed for planning to join the so-called Islamic State, is already back on the streets, having been tipped for release from prison next month. His name is Jamshed Javid. He was jailed for six years in March 2015 for planning to travel from his Manchester home to Syria to join ISIS. And despite being handed an extended sentence, the parole board cleared him for release last year when he was halfway through his sentence. And that's according to a report by the PA News Agency. And this is after, by the way, the government's announcement earlier in the week that it would push to introduce legislation to lengthen the time spent in prison for those convicted of terror offences. So first of all, Greg, how do we even begin to deal with this?
1: Responsibly, Hmm. which would be a first when it comes to dealing with terrorists, as far as I can work out. We've had a fair amount of labour interference we had 13 unlucky years of Labour misrule, for instance, uh, that nearly bankrupt the country uh, when they were playing lovey with terrorists in all directions. We've had Corbyn, who has cosied up to terrorists on a regular basis, who uh, made a play for Prime Minister of the country uh, in the last election and has been leader of the Labour Party for a very long time and despite being utterly soundly thrashed, is still behaving as if he could lead anything bigger than a rubber duck around a bath on a piece of string, acting as Labour leader while they select the person who would appear to be most like him in incompetence. So I'm not sure we're going to make a hell of a lot of progress with this issue, Uh, because already there is talk that there would be a judicial fight against our own government uh, if our government actually acted responsibly. We have already proved beyond all shadow of doubt that prison, for all its pretensions, is not a place for reforming people. We know beyond doubt that if a rapist or a paedophile of regular inclination to rape or assault children is put in prison uh, when they come out they are not reformed they may put on a good act for a while terrorists seem to be much the same once radicalized they have this mindset Um, they have this look they start off in the first place With a superstitious view that martyrdom will grant them privilege in eternity. Yeah,
0: but isn't there an element here as well? There have been people who were once extremists but are not anymore. The most prominent example I can think of, a name you'll be familiar with as well, is Majid Nawaz, the writer and broadcaster. You probably know him from The Pledge on Sky News. I know him as well from his show on LBC, which I listen to. Now, he really uh, denounces everything he once did when he was a younger man, and he really is a reformed character,
1: but... uh, That wasn't as a result of prison.
0: No, it wasn't. He, He changed his ways in other ways. So you're saying then, okay, Majid Nawaz has changed his ways, and for at least the last 15 years, probably more than that, he's done a huge amount of good with his life. So what are you saying should be done to people we know are a risk?
1: I think we should have long sentencing. I don't see any point whatsoever in any form of crime of sentencing people to prison for a period and then letting them out. There For that sentence, so, and the argument has always been that, ah, well, that doesn't help them to reform well, nothing much seems in statistical terms to help reform any of these terrorists who go to to prison. Uh, it actually tends to work the complete opposite way, and they become become yet more radicalized and yet uh, more clandestine in their ability to hide it. Just as if you send somebody to prison for minor crimes, uh, all too often... Uh, Prison is merely an educational establishment so they make contacts and can move on to more major crime.
0: Which brings me nicely on to my next point because I want to talk now a little bit about the culture inside prison because there are instances of people, and we know this is going on, people who are not even Muslims at all, converting to Islam in prison for their own protection and they join gangs for their own protection and it does seem that in certain prisons in certain wings in this country radical Muslim gangs are in control of those prisons so how do we even begin to address that because is this a case of we have to keep those who are convicted of these sorts of offences away from other prisoners in different wings maybe in different prisons completely?
1: I personally have a very different view on prison to the popular liberal lovey poor fellow he's become a criminal Um, just as today well, no, yesterday, uh, we saw Ian Dale on uh, Good Morning Britain, which can be watched on uh, YouTube, and he had two pig-ignorant, ill-mannered oafs also on the panel who, when he, when Ian Dale was asked a question and was quite rationally responding uh, to the hosts, um just talked over him and shouted him down and it reached a stage where ian dale turned around and said, so i'm not allowed to speak and they just mocked him and went on shouting him down and so he quietly unplugged his microphone and walked out which was the intelligent thing to do rather than confrontation with these ignorant individuals who made the program thoroughly unpleasant. Nobody learnt anything from them, and they were defending the lad who had, had outspokenly said that he intended to kill somebody by throwing them off of a tall building, because that way he could go to prison, which he thought would be better than being in council care. That was the lad who threw a six-year-old French tourist off of a 100-foot high viewing platform at Tate Modern.
0: Now, what I look for when I see a terror attack and these sort of lone wolf terror attacks, I look for things in common, things that unite them, and here's what we know. We go back to the Nice attack in France just a few years ago. We know he was a drunk, he was a drug abuser who never went near a mosque. He was not part of the local Muslim community. The Berlin truck driver from a few years ago as well was an arsonist, a thief and a bar brawler. The first Westminster lone wolf attack of a few years ago was another low-life jailbird. He'd been imprisoned three times for, among other things, stabbing a man in the face. He had several other convictions. Scotland Yard refuses to say what they were, but we know he had several. Um, And what you find as well is that a lot of these people are also heavy users of cannabis now cannabis it affects people in very different ways and i don't know what strength of the drug they were using some people seem to be able to smoke it and consume it for years without any problems other people end up with very serious permanent mental health issues so that's one element the second is this when i was a kid growing up in the 1980s into the 1990s when the internet was not in people's homes there were rules in that Anything on television before 9pm had to contain little to no swearing, no nudity. Even after 9pm, there were rules about um, you couldn't have excessive, gratuitous swearing, there were limits to nudity, you couldn't have political extremism. Nowadays with the advent of the internet and ever faster broadband in people's homes and everything else, anyone can access extremist material any hour of the day or night. Now I have demonstrated in what I just said that most if not all of these lone wolf attackers we see are not radicalised in the mosques. They are not known to the local Muslim community. They are getting it from the internet. How do we even begin to protect people who are vulnerable to being manipulated in this way from seeing this sort of extremely dangerous material?
1: One starter for that is, as you and I have discussed often, I believe that absolutely everybody who uses the internet to put material on it should have to verify who they are to register the right to post on the internet And have a coded ability to post on the internet, uh, whether on their own website or anybody else's. Not just signing in, but being an identified individual. This would completely cut out the use of the internet for grooming. It would completely cut out the internet for uh, paedophilia and similar crimes. And it would cut out terrorism. And please don't tell me that governments couldn't do it. Governments can shut the Internet down totally, as China has proved in China. So if it can do that, it can equally well force policing of the Internet. We have the ability of uh, people like uh, Facebook and Twitter and Google to no-platform individuals, We spoke about this in an earlier podcast, um, apropos Katie Hopkins. They've managed to remove her ability to post on Twitter. Why can't they do that responsibly?
0: I think there's a very big problem with what you're saying. It's all very nice in theory, and in theory I agree with you. But when you type in a web address, the first three initials, we used to have to do this all the time, it's not so important these days, the first three letters you put in, www and www stands for world wide web no matter how much this government does for what you're proposing to be effective every country in the world would have to do likewise
1: and i believe that at government level you would get that degree of cooperation because any government that would not go along with that would merely be jammed out of everything
0: Yeah, and you and I have discussed privately, I don't think this particular point has come up in a podcast, but you and I have discussed privately that to have an account on Twitter and on Facebook, it should be a photograph and your real name and when you sign up, a verifiable identity. And I am of the view that whether it's to do with terrorism or anything else, if the police are called to be involved in dealing with a situation on Twitter, the police should have the right to send Twitter or any other platform for that matter, a bill for time wasted on their platform. Not wasted necessarily, but time spent dealing with issues on their platform. Because it is clear, particularly Twitter, but they're not the only ones, that these social media companies have completely lost control of the regulation of the platforms.
1: I'm not sure who I trust
0: the least, the police or Twitter. I have not much confidence in the police based on my own experiences, but nevertheless... We saw the best of the police last Sunday, for example, in their actions in Streatham, but we also see the worst of the police quite often with the clumsy way they deal with day-to-day crime. So I I understand where you're coming from on that.
1: Uh, They did at least manage to shoot somebody who was guilty. That makes a pleasant change, and I would like you to think again of Jean-Charles de Menenez, who was slaughtered by uh, a police collection of ill-trained and badly led our firearms personnel who were under the control of Cressida Dick, who has subsequently been promoted to head of the Met.
0: Very true.
1: It gives me little confidence.
0: Very true, and I agree with, but I would pay tribute to the actions of the police in Streatham last Sunday. A final point then, and this is a complicated question, but I'm going I'm to read this out first of all. And this is something to think about quite deeply, I think. In 1961, there were 50,000 Muslims living in Britain. In 1991, there were 950,000. In 2001, there were 1,600,000. In 2011, just nine years ago, there were 2,706,000. In 2017, a good estimate is that there are 3,373,000. So in other words, in the period since 1991, living memory for most people, the number of Muslims living in Britain has trebled. Now, I am quite willing to believe, and based on my own experiences, because I live among, I think, the oldest Muslim community in the United Kingdom, almost certainly the case, that the vast majority of Muslims do not condone this behaviour. And as I have already said, these individuals tend to be radicalised on the internet rather than the mosque. But of that 3,373,000 Muslims living in Britain today, if only 5% of them are sympathetic to the ideals of ISIS, that's still a large town in real terms full of people living in Britain today who are sympathetic to that agenda. How do we even begin to weed out these extremists
1: uh, well, first of all, let's get some accurate, uh, slightly more accurate figures in that uh, a majority of Muslims, when polled, turn a blind eye to, thereby condoning these extremists. Now, they what what questions were
0: asked and in what way? Because that's quite a serious claim you're making there.
1: Uh, they have failed to speak out against them. And we frequently see large demonstrations of Muslims holding up placards that are anti-British and extreme, yet they, nobody does anything for fear of upsetting them.
0: We're coming towards the end. What do you actually do, though? What can we do now? They are here, that's a fact, and how do we even begin to deal
1: with it? We give them long sentences and they serve their sentences. And if they are still being radicalized in prison, then we keep them literally in solitary confinement where they cannot radicalize each other. And I note that the Streatham um, coward who attacked uh, the other day, his mother said that he had access to the Internet in prison. Okay, take it away. I have no problem with harsh sentencing. If people don't want to live by laws of our country in the manner that maintains the peace of our country, I'm not talking of petty crime. I'm talking of things like terrorism, like murder, like rape, uh, like grooming. I have no problem in locking these people up for the foreseeable future. If they don't want to live by the rules, then they can live outside the rules in prison.
0: My thanks as always to Greg and my thanks to you for listening. If you've got any feedback or any topics you'd like covered in future editions of 20 Minute Topic, feel free to drop me a tweet. I'm at Marcus Stead. See you next week.